Welcome back to another episode of Coach Coddle's Corner, where you get to hear some of the greatest stories from some of the greatest people in the world of lacrosse. Coach, who do we have on the podcast today? Here we are with Coach Dave Petromala, former head coach at Johns Hopkins University, and we're really excited to have him on because he's got quite a story to tell. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is presented by Demosphere. What do you need from your technology partner? Customized registration, league and scheduling tools, a platform that streamlines work across your entire organization. Demosphere has all that and more with one login. Reach out today to the team behind the team sports before your next season. Coach, welcome to the podcast and thank you for uh, agreeing to be on. Great to be with you again, Coach Cottle. I miss you. I, I miss you too. So, you know, let's just a, a little bit of for a historical per, uh, perspective of uh, former player at Hopkins, former assistant at Hopkins. You had a career where you were assistant at Gilman, assistant at Johns Hopkins, assistant at Penn, assistant at Loyola before you returned to Johns Hopkins in, in uh, 1995. And David, you became the head coach at Cornell University. Tell me about that experience. Uh, my experience at Cornell was uh, was tremendous. Um, you know, it was my first head coaching job. And, you know, I think as you know, um, you know, when you look back on things, you know, sometimes you want to cringe and you say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we did that. Um, God, if I knew only knew then what I knew now. And, uh, you know, I was coming off of my third year as an assistant, a full-time assistant at Hopkins, and I uh, had worked for Tony Seaman and, and had worked for you uh, just prior and had a great stint, uh, a great one year with you at Loyola and uh, did my three years at, at Hopkins and the Cornell position came open. You know, and one of the things that I always promised myself, Coach, was that if, if I took a head coaching job, I was going to take one at a place that I, I respected academically um, and I thought was a place that cared about lacrosse and could eventually, in, in, in some way, shape, or form, compete for a national championship. You know, and, and, and quite frankly, Cornell checked all those boxes. Um, you know, it's, a, it's obviously an outstanding school being in the Ivy League. Um, I did believe that they cared about lacrosse um, after, you know, interviewing there and, and talking to some people. And, and obviously being in the lacrosse community, it wasn't hard to know that Cornell cared about lacrosse. And they had already proven under Richie Moran that they could win the national championship. So it checked all those boxes. And uh, I went up there and had three, three great years. Um, it was a tremendous learning experience for me. Um, it was challenging. Um, I had a great staff. I, I, I worked alongside uh, Jeff Tambroni, the current head coach at Penn State, uh, Ben DeLuca, uh, who is the current head coach at Delaware. Um, so we, we had a great staff. Um, I worked for a gentleman named Charlie Moore. He was the athletic director that hired me. Uh, Charlie Moore was a gold medalist in, the, uh, in track and field and was a, a real winner, um, you know, was a great guy to work for. So my, my, my three years there were, were, were terrific. I think we took a, a three and 11 team and uh, our first year went six and seven. Our second year, I think we went seven and six and our third year we were, I believe, 10 and four uh, and made the NCAA playoffs. So it was, uh, 
you know, a good run. We had some really great kids that, uh, you know, were invested in, in, and worked awful hard to, to help kind of get things back on track at, at Cornell University. And, and, you know, after I left, Jeff Tambroni took over and uh, kind of ran with it and then Ben DeLuca. Uh, so it was uh, just a wonderful experience. Uh, it was a, a good taste of upstate New York for me to prepare for now. Um, being at Syracuse, and uh, I, I'm I'm very grateful to uh, you know to Charlie Moore and 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 then assistant athletic director Andy Noel, who's the current director of athletics at Cornell, for for taking a chance on a, a young uh, young assistant coach that was anxious to uh, to help run his own program. Well, that young coach won National Coach of the Year in 2000 in his third year at Cornell. But the thing from an outsider taking a look at uh, your time at Cornell, you developed some relationships that have gone over the test of time, and you're still very close with uh, Coach Tambroni, Coach DeLuca, and Cornell. And uh, what what, did, what does that say about your time there, that you could develop those relationships that are still strong to this day? Well, listen, you, you, you've been in this profession longer than I have, and, and, and I, know, I know you know it and believe in it. I mean, this profession is all about relationships. I mean, that's what recruiting is. That's how you motivate and inspire young men. Um, you know, to be to be honest with you, for me, that's that, that's what this job, is, the greatest part about this job is. I mean, I love to compete. You know, I love to to teach and coach and you know. But but at the end of the day, it, it's those relationships that that mean the most. And uh, you know, I was actually. At a, uh, a summer tournament uh, this uh, this past summer up in Massachusetts, and uh, I came across uh, a guy named Bobby Werhain. Now, Bobby Werhain uh, was a young man that I hadn't recruited. Uh, Coach Moran recruited him, but I, I I spent three years with with Bobby Werhain at Cornell, and uh, you know I, I I saw him for the first time in gosh years, and we picked up like we uh, we, we we hadn't missed a beat. And, uh, you know, we reminisced about uh, the old times. Gosh, we reminisced about when I used to put the pads on to go out and, and, and do individual work with him. And, uh, you know, it's those, it's those relationships that make what we do special, Coach. The wins and losses are, are, are important, and, and, and anyone that says they aren't, I, I think is lying. They are important. But ultimately, it, it's who you experience those wins and losses and those, the journey with. And uh, I was really blessed that uh, the, the young men at Cornell were really, they were so invested in, 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 quite frankly, I think they were invested in Jeff and I quite a bit because, you know, Cornell, we were trying to re recapture what Coach Moran had, had built. And, you know, we weren't in a, uh, a great place in terms of wins and losses. So we, we were asking them to believe in us and believe in our vision and, 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 and they did, you know, we, we wound up attracting guys like Ryan McClay. And I remember JP Shalk was our first big recruit that we got to actually stay in upstate New York. And uh, Timmy DuBois was another one, but it's those relationships that uh, you, you maintain over the years that really make what we do special. So before we leave Cornell, you followed a legend in Richie Moran. What was the difficulty following a legend and what helped make it easier for you? Um, you know, well, you know, when, when I took the job, my job wasn't to re 
replace Richie Moran. You don't replace a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, my, I, I received some great advice by, by, by people like yourself and, and Tony Seaman and Don Zimmerman and, and Bill Tierney, you know, and, and the, 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 the common theme was, you know, you have to be yourself. So when, when I did take the job, you know, number one, I didn't feel like I, I hired Jeff Tambroni to, to be my assistant. I felt like I, I hired him to partner with me and we approached it like a partnership. Um, but Coach Moran had done some unbelievable things there. So the first thing was just, I, I, you know, would, be, would have been foolish to try and be Coach Moran. You know, no one can be him. He's a unique and, and special individual, a Hall of Famer. So it was to go there and just try to, to be ourselves. So I think that was the, the, the best thing that we did was just to try to, to be ourselves. Um, you know, I think one of the things that was really hard was that, you know, we, we, we were in a position where I took over Coach Moran's uh, position as the head coach, yet Coach was still there. And he was in a, a role, in a fundraising role, and he was fundraising to endow the position that I, that I was in. And that was, that was a bit challenging. I, I believe it was a bit challenging for me um, and a bit challenging for Coach Moran. Um, you know, and because he's a good guy, um, and I like to believe because I'm a good guy, we, we worked our way through it and managed it, you know, managed it. And, you know, the other thing that was really critical, Coach, was, you know, when, when I got there, what, what was to make sure that we, 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 we gave Coach Moran the respect uh, that he was due and deserved. Um, you know, so we tried to celebrate what he, he had done. Um, we tried to be somewhat inclusive and include him in what we were doing and, and not just say, okay, the Moran era is over. Now let's move on. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is he was on campus. He was a building over. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure we embraced what he represented and what he had created at Cornell. Outstanding. So now you go back to the place where it started for you, your college career. You go back to Johns Hopkins, where you spend 20 years there. You're 207 and 93, a 69% win. Early, you had a tremendous success. Well, early, over your career, 18 NCAA tournaments, six Final Fours, four title game appearances, and championships in the 05-07. What, uh, what was in place there to allow you to hit the ground running and really turn Johns Hopkins back into the national powerhouse? Well, you know, we, we when we took over, you know, it's important to understand the cupboard wasn't there. Uh, you know, that's important to recognize what Don Zimmerman and Tony Seaman, you know, and John Hawes had done. And, you know, I believe we took over uh, a team that was still filled with, uh, you know, guys that Coach Seaman had recruited in all actuality, the senior class, my first year there, was a class that I had helped Coach Seaman recruit. The Sean Natalins, the Brandon Testas, uh, the Brendan Shooks, you know, that 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 whole group um, was were seniors. So I had rec helped recruit them, but never had an opportunity to coach them. So, you know, Coach Seaman, who you know very well, was a terrific recruiter you know, and, and an outstanding coach. And then John Hawes took over and, 
So it's it's not like we took over a program that was in dire straits and uh, you know had no talent. Um, you know, we, we we so we took over a place that you know at the time was very committed to lacrosse. Um, you know, and, and had great leadership. Um, you know, I, I I've said this you know a thousand times to anybody that would ever listen. I I, I worked for. Well, I don't even feel like I worked for him. I partnered with the president, uh, Dr. Bill Brody, uh, who was the you know the, the president of Johns Hopkins University at the time, and I remember interviewing with him, and was just so taken back by what an outstanding uh, man he was. Um, and you know, when 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 I accepted the position, I, like I said, I didn't feel like I was going to work for Bill Brody or Johns Hopkins. I felt like I was partnering with them. And, uh, you know, so that, that was the key component, Coach, to be quite frank with you, was the support of, of, of that program at the time came right from the top down. And it, the, the message was disseminated and was very clear, you know, from, you know, the administration to the AD to the financial aid office to admissions to academic advising and counseling the message was very clear that we are going to support this program at the very highest level that we are capable within the, within the framework of the NCAA rules. And, and in doing so, you know, we had all the tools that we needed to, to be successful. Um, you know, and, and I think that quite frankly, um, and, and having a gentleman like Jerry Schneidman, who sadly has just recently passed, um, you know, having a person like him, as the executive assistant to the president, having those two men, you know, at the top of the university stating, hey, this is a priority for our institution, made our jobs uh, a thousand times easier. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because when you talk about Alabama football and you hear the other SEC schools talk about that, that lacrosse was, is important to their institution from their president on down. And it sounds like you're, you know, the financial aid guy was in, the admissions guy was in, the athletic director was all in, the president was all in, Jerry Schneidman was all in, and the alumni were all in to do everything they could within the rules to make Johns Hopkins lacrosse successful. And it seemed like, you know, that's kind of been the, the model back in Johns Hopkins heyday where everyone all took a hand on the rope and they took enjoyment in the successes and the heartbreak of the defeats. And I thought when you got started there, you had something special. No, listen, I agree. And I worked for someone for, 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 for special people. You know, I worked for, uh, you know, Tom Calder and as, a, as an athletic director and, you know, Tom Calder's, you know, you know, weekly question was, what can we do to, to what can we do to help you? You know, uh, I'll never forget. Uh, there was a moment in, in 2007 when we had gone on a couple of game losing streak and we were struggling and I got a call from Jerry Schneidman. It's really pretty cool story. And, and he says, you know, David, it's, it's, you know, it's Jerry, you know, how are you? You know, well, Jerry, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit where, uh, you know, we're not playing up to our, our abilities right now. And uh, we had a fairly talented team, we thought, and really good leadership. And uh, he said, well, that's why I'm calling. President Brody would like to know what he can do to help. And, uh, yeah, I was taken back by it. And I'm like, you know what, Jerry, the fact that you're calling 
is, is all I need. You know, I know we have your support and great to know that, you know, President Brody wants to help, but, you know, we got to figure this out. And he said, well, no, the president has an idea. And if you're okay with it, I'd like to come to the office and run it by you. And sure enough, he shows up and the president came up with an idea, Coach, where they they wanted to come out the day before we played um, a game and, and they wanted to come out as players. So like, I, I was a little taken back by it and didn't necessarily understand it originally. And after he explained it, thought it was, was awesome. And, and basically what happened was we went out for Friday practice and a uh, day before, uh, you know, a, a game. And I told the team that we were going to be adding two new players. And I thought we two <laughs> guys that could really help us kind of get over the hump and, you know, might add a little bit of life to, to, to the team and, and bring some talent to the team. And just as I said that, out from the 50-yard line came these two guys. And they were not dressed in suits, Coach. They were dressed in full lacrosse gear. So here's President Bill Brody in a lacrosse helmet, gloves, arm pads, shoulder pads, practice pinning, and here's Jerry Schneidman. And as they come out, you know, they're far enough away where you can't, like, recognize, like, oh, my God, here come these two elderly fellas. And as they got closer, you could see the, the perplexed look on the guys' faces. And uh, they came out and uh, got right in the middle of the huddle, started pushing the guys. The guys started pushing them back. And literally, they took a lap with the team. And then President Brody addressed the team about pressure and that they were playing a game and that, you know, they needed to approach it like a game, that pressure was, you know, what surgeons deal with and what soldiers deal with. And, you know, this needed to be a game. And, and Coach, it was one of the most significant moments for me as a coach uh, to see what a great leader can do. And we went on from there. We went on a huge run and, and wound up winning the national championship. And, and I, I, I correlate our success. I think I, I would say I directly correlate our success and that run to what President Brody and Jerry Schneidman did. So two really special guys. And, you know, when, we, when, when you've got those people in your corner and they're working with you, I think you know it's very similar to when you were at uh, at Loyola, and uh, you know Doctor uh, Shai was the the president, and uh, you know we we had an athletic director Joe Boylan who, you know, what was was not not good. He was unbelievable, you know, and to work for for two guys like that when you know I, I think made your job easier, and working for Bill Brody and Jerry Schneidman made my job a lot easier. And, and you say pressure. You knew when you became the head coach at Johns Hopkins that there was pressure in that position. But as most head coaches, the only pressure that matters is the pressure that you put on yourself. How did you deal with that at Johns Hopkins? Yeah, I, I, pressure is, again, like you said, what, what you put on yourself. And, you know, I, I'd rather be somewhere where they, where they cared than they didn't care. I think that's greater pressure when you're somewhere where they don't care about what you're doing. Um, you know, our, our, our old football coach when I was at, at Hopkins and was a very good friend and sadly passed away, Jimmy Margraff used to say pressures for surgeons and soldiers. 
And, uh, you know, that always stayed with me. Um, you know, and he always used to say at the end of the day, it's a game. And, uh, you know, look, we all want to win. We all want to be successful. And, and do we feel, do we feel and put pressure on ourselves? Sure. But, you know, any successful coach, uh, you know, should put more pressure on him, himself and, and his staff than any external uh, group of people. So, you know, I never felt like there was that pressure externally. I felt like it was more internally from, from ourselves and our, from our staff. And that is probably why President Brody and Jerry Schneiman came to practice, you know, for that reason, because they know how important it was to you. And they wanted not only the players to relax and play a game, but they wanted the coaches to kind of try to help put it in perspective for them. And that's what made, as you said, made them special leaders. Yeah, now, no, no doubt. Oh, 2005, your first title at Johns Hopkins. Tell me about that. Well, we had a great core of leaders on that team. You know, I, I, I people always ask, you know, what was different about that team? You know, and, and I said that was player-led. Uh, you know, I'd love to take the credit, but, you know, I think you, you hope good coaches give credit to their assistants and, you know, to their players. And, and that was a player-led team. When your best players – are your hardest workers and, and more importantly, your best people, um, you know, you're, you're, you're blessed. And our best player and our, our hardest worker and our best you know person was Kyle Harrison, you know, and that class was our first class that we had recruited. And, uh, you know, we, we had a, uh, a very specific profile that we were looking for, um, you know, when, when we recruited that class, we, we really, kind of searched high and low and, and worked very hard to find guys that were the right fit for not only Hopkins, but for our staff. And we got players like Peter Lesore and, and Kyle Harrison and, you know, wound up having guys like Matt Rakowski who wound up transferring in and, you know, Greg Raymond. And we, we just had an outstanding core of, 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 of leaders, um, let alone, you know, a, a very talented group. That 05 recruiting class was as, as talented a group as, as, as you're going to find. Uh, you know, Kyle Barry and, you know, the names go on. And uh, they did an, an unbelievable job of policing themselves. You know, they knew the standard. We as head coaches, you know, defined the standard and set the standard and, and, and they disseminated the message and made sure that that standard was being met, not just on the field, but academically and socially. And, uh, you know, when, when your your team is led by those kind of people, it's hard not to achieve success. So you mentioned Kyle Harrison. What made you recruit Kyle? Uh, what, what did you see in Kyle as a high school junior and senior? And what – what made you know that he was going to be such a factor in your program? Well, you know, it's in interesting, Coach. I'm not sure we all knew that he was going to be the lacrosse player he became uh, because I'm just not sure we, we truly knew the worker that he was. Um, you know, I think we learned that about him. Uh, but I saw him at, at your old top two, 205 lacrosse camp. That's where I first saw him. And, uh, you know, Kyle laughs at it, and he always hated the uh, – um, you know, being portrayed as a better athlete than a lacrosse player, uh, which, you know, clearly that, that has significantly changed. 
Um, but we watched him, and, and, and you know, he's from the friend schools and, and not from, uh, you know, a, a pro high school program that was having tremendous success. Uh, a local kid, dad was, uh, you know, a, a doctor in, uh, was uh, part of the 10 Bears that had played, um, you know, earlier, um, you know, in, uh, in his career. Um, you know, so dad was very involved in lacrosse. Lacrosse was a big part of the Harrison family. But to be honest with you, Kyle's first love really was basketball. And that is the day I went and watched him play in what was called, I believe, the Quaker Classic was the day I actually decided that we were going to scholarship Kyle and, and at what level. And I went and watched him and one of his teammates who wound up being his teammate at Johns Hopkins, uh, Benson Irwin, who was a great short stick for us. I watched the two of them play basketball on the same team, and they were playing a team from uh, Pennsylvania who had a six foot ten kid. And uh, Kyle Harrison winds up, uh, you know, getting matched up with the kid. And I couldn't couldn't believe how competitive he was. Uh, how overmatched he was, you know, physically being a, you know, a, a six foot kid playing against a six foot 10 kid. And the clincher coach was when Kyle Harrison came down on a break and it was him in the six ten kid. And he actually went up and dumped right over him. And I just saw something that day from him that I hadn't quite seen on the lacrosse field, but you knew it was there. And uh, so that day we decided actually we were going to, uh, recruit and, uh, and and offer a place and a scholarship to both Kyle and Benson Irwin and uh, turned out to be one of the greatest decisions we made. Yeah. So you went to a basketball game and watched them play. Back in the old days, recruiting, you used to watch kids play multiple sports. How's that changed? Uh, it's changed dramatically just because of, of fall across and, uh, you know, kids are becoming more and more specialized and, and not playing two and three sports. Um, you know, and, you know, on the one hand, you know, as coaches, we all encourage it and we say we want to, you know, we want them to do it. But on the other hand, you know, we make it awful challenging with all these <laughs> fall events. So, you know, I, I think there is a balance to, to be had and kids can do both. Uh, but, you know, we still to this day, you know, as a staff here at Syracuse and we did it while I was at Hopkins, we believe in going and watch, you know, our recruits play other sports. I think you can learn a lot about them. Uh, Kyle Harrison was a tremendous example, you know, for us is that, you know, on that day, I, I got to see the true competitor in Kyle Harrison. And it was probably because he was more comfortable on a basketball court at the time than he was on a lacrosse field. And, and what happened was, you know, eventually his love became lacrosse and he became as comfortable, if not more, on, on the lacrosse field than on the basketball court or as he was on the basketball court and was able to play, you know, the same way. Um, and, and you can just learn uh, about a young man and, and a young woman, for that matter, watching them play another sport, watching them interact with their teammates, watching them accept coaching or, or, or deny coaching and watching them in, under adverse circumstances. I think you can learn a lot about these kids and, and, and you know, what they're truly made of. So Sean Nadlin plays for you guys, recruited by somebody else, and is a fearless competitor is all we know. How is it to, to, to coach against one of your former players? 
not easy. Uh, well, Sean, I actually recruited. Uh, I will tell you, I went and visited him at Rush Henrietta High School. And at the time, he was the first young man that ever showed up to an in-school visit in a uh, shirt and tie. Um, so it, it, I think it tells you a lot about Sean Natalin and, uh, you know, Lon and his wife. Um, they're great people. Um, so I got to coach Sean his senior year at Johns Hopkins. He was a first-team first All-American defender, uh, was a great player and a fierce, fierce competitor. And then you wind up staring at him across the, uh, across the other sideline. You know, and as you know, Coach, it's, it's, it, there's a sense of pride and, 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 and a sense of difficulty. You know, the difficulty is here's someone you have a tremendous relationship with, you love, you care about. You want to see him do well, but not on that day. You don't want him to see him do well. And, and, and you want your kids and your team to, to achieve success. Yet you're proud of, of, of what he's doing and, and how he's doing his business. So, you know, I've always found, you know, coaching against, uh, you know, former players or former assistants to be, to be challenging uh, because of the relationship that you have with them. So Paul Rabel comes to Johns Hopkins. What was, what was that like? Uh, it was very frustrating to start with in the recruiting process. Uh, Paul, um, many, most people don't know it, but Paul comes from a family that is entrenched and ingrained in North Carolina and Chapel Hill. Uh, family members went there. Uh, you know, they had throw pillows of Carolina on their, uh, on their couch when we home visit them. Uh, dad, you know, probably had a Bible next to his bed and below that had a book. I always, always joked, had a book by Dean Smith, uh, underneath it. Um, they were a Carolina family. His idol was Michael Jordan. And I remember making my first recruiting call to him on September one and getting off the phone and, you know, feeling like I should throw the phone through the, through the window because we were so excited about Paul and, and, and his potential as a player but felt like, um, you know, felt like there really wasn't great interest. Um, and, and to Paul's credit, um, you know, I always felt like one of the greatest things Paul did was he was a listener. And, and I think to this day, he still is a very good listener. Um, and when we made our recruiting pitch, uh, Paul put aside his, you know, personal feelings for maybe where he thought he wanted to go and, and listen to all the schools and, and, and listen to and realize what the best place for him was. And, and, and obviously went on to have a, you know, a hall of fame career. Uh, you know, he's a great player. Um, you know, I love him. Uh, and, and I'm very proud of the man he's become and, and what he's done in the sport of lacrosse, not just as a player, but certainly as a, a leader in our sport. He is definitely the greatest uh, player uh, who's probably ever played in the midfield position. I think there's probably one other, Frank Urso, that you could compare him to in my heyday. And, uh, you know, his ability to, you know, you had a group of middies back then that could go right and left down the alley and make shots. It looked like you spent a ton of time coaching guys to really be good with their weak hands down the alley. And, and, and he shot the ball hard and accurately, going left-handed down the line. Yeah, you know, we, we, we recruited it first, um, and we were wanted to recruit, you know, the way we were playing offense then is we wanted to recruit big, strong, athletic, downhill Dodgers. 
that could shoot the ball on the run. We just felt like, you know, our bread was going to be buttered at the midfield, not at the not at the attack. Um, you know, our attack was more, you know, they were more caddies for the middies, and that's not to diminish what they did. What they did was, you know, outstanding. Um, but we were a midfield dominant team. Um, we were downhill north-south Dodgers that could shoot the ball, you know, as you, as you said, left and right on the run. And to be quite honest with you, um, you know, we, we worked with them and, and Seth Tierney and, and, and then Bobby Benson both did, you know, a great job with the offensive guys we had and coaching them in individual work. And we, we made, you know, that offseason individual work a, a, a big priority to, to work on our shooting. Uh, but a lot of credit should go to the guys as well. You know, we recruited guys that were committed and, you know, everybody practices for two and a half hours and everybody does individual work, but the great ones, you know, do things when no one's watching. And you look at guys like Paul Rabel and Kyle Harrison and Matt Rakowski and then Stevie Pizer and those kind of guys, they were good at shooting the ball on the run with their weak hands because they practiced it on their own. And quite frankly, I actually think they were more accurate with their weak hands because they took a little something off of it, but were a little more overpowering with their strong hands. I think back then, the one thing that made Hopkins different uh, was that they had guys who could take on your best, you know, long pole and your best defenders. And typically when you played a Johns Hopkins team, they had the they could take away your number one defender. You know, you had a long list of uh, number one defenders over the years that came by. And, you know, when you go into the game knowing that your number one guy's probably not going to get what he's supposed to get, and then you may not have the right matchup for all those middies going downhill, it it made Johns Hopkins really tough to guard. Yeah, you know, I think what we did was we forced people to make choices and pick their poison, you know, and – if you wanted to poll Paul, okay, well, then you had Kyle Harrison to deal with. And if you wanted to poll those two guys, then you had, you know, Stephen Pizer or, or Matt Rakowski, who, you know, go, is so unheralded, but was such, was such a smart player. Um, you know, and then we were good enough at the attack to, to be able to, you know, play those guys versus short sticks. And the beauty of, of it all maybe was that if you two-polled or three-polled, we weren't going to change how we played because we felt like we could play against poles, you know, and that was, I, I think one of the big keys to our success was we didn't, when, when people did those things to us, we didn't necessarily have to change what we were doing. We felt comfortable with Paul or Kyle attacking a, a long stick or, or, or a close defenseman. And, uh, you know, we felt comfortable with, leaving the attack in the roles that they were playing. Um, and, and that the, the, the bottom line was we thought we could still have success, you know, doing what we did and doing it well. Yeah, you did a heck of a job with that, that's for sure. So now at the end of Johns Hopkins, we mentioned Kyle Harrison, you know, Paul Rabel, the Pizers, you know, just a, a, a slew of middies. You didn't seem to have the same personnel at the end of Hopkins your run at Hopkins than you did at the beginning. What was the difference? Well, you know, I, 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 I you know, I, I think any any good coach or coach, coach worth his weight and gold coach is realistic and you know and, and gives you know the credit to his assistants and his players when they have success and when there are failures, 
you know, he takes he takes those failures upon himself. And, you know, I think one of the things that I, as a head coach and a leader, didn't do a good job with was the early recruiting. I think, to be frank with you, we got too involved. Um, we didn't play to our strength. And that's not to say we didn't get good players. You know, you got a kid like Joey Epstein and you get a guy like Cole Williams. You know, they're good players. And Connor D. Simone, you know, those are guys that were all highly touted coming out of high school. Um, you know, and there's plenty of talent on that roster now. Um, but I think what, what happened was we gave away our strength. And, and our strength was in developing relationships with families and players and getting to know those players over time and then picking and choosing the, not just the best ones, but the right ones for our staff and the right ones to fit at Johns Hopkins. And what happened was, you know, recruiting changed and it went to recruiting ninth graders and it went to recruiting, you know, kids that had never even stepped field on the varsity yet, but we were recruiting kids off an eighth grade summer, a ninth grade fall or a ninth grade spring. And, you know, I think our strength was, you know, taking information and evaluating that information and then picking and choosing the right players for us. And what happened was the the recruiting process, you know, was, you know, in fast forward. And, and we, I don't know that I was courageous enough to say no. You know, we were a, a clearly a prominent enough program where we could recruit, you know, you know, early, early commitments. We, we were a good enough program where people wanted to, were interested enough in doing that. But I don't think we, we spent enough time gathering the information that we had in the past. And, and, and I think that hurt us. Um, you know, I also think, you know, sometimes what happens is, you know, comfort creeps in. And I don't know that we, we our staff got comfortable, but, you know, yeah, you recruit kids and, and, and they're, you know, they're coming to, to school and saying, okay, I'm playing for, for Hopkins. And it's not the Hopkins of old. It's, it's a new Hopkins. And, and what I mean by that is we had to prove ourselves every year, yet we were living off of, you know, what Paul Rabel and Kyle Harrison had done. Um, you know, and again, I think that comes back to, to me and we could have done a better job of that. But, you know, that being said, you know, we enter the big 10 and, you know, we're there, and I think we were we, we we win two Big Ten championships and and play for three in a five year span, um, you know. So I, you know we made that jump, and I thought we made that pretty well. But I do believe the early recruiting was something that 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 I allowed to negatively impact us. So Johns Hopkins makes the decision to go into the Big Ten. And Johns Hopkins is, you know, that their program has been supported, you know, financially through, you know, gifts of alums and everything like that. You get in a different stratosphere of arms races when you have the University of Michigan, the Ohio State University, Penn State University, Maryland. You've got football money and and support behind them. In hindsight, was the move to the Big Ten the right thing for Johns Hopkins? Uh, you know, I think he, there, there are people that will say yes, and there were people that will say no. You know, at the time, 
Uh, it was. It was. And I think there were a lot of factors that went into that. And, um, you know, people that were far smarter than I am uh, were involved in, in making that decision. Uh, you know, but at the time, you know, the automatic qualifiers were playing a, a major role. Conferences were playing a major role. Conferences were playing a major role in recruiting. Um, you know, it was uh, being an independent only gave you one bite of the apple, so to speak, to get into the NCAA playoffs. So if you didn't do your job against Syracuse, against Virginia, against Loyola, against Maryland, um, you know, and you didn't win not just a couple games, but a significant number of games, in particular with the schedule we were playing when I was there, um, you know, you put yourself in, in, in jeopardy of not making the NCAs. And one of the things I'm most proud of is, you know, we, we made the NCAs every year, but one when I was there. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, you're right. It's an arms race. But to be able to continue that streak uh, and that, that history of making the NCAs year in and year out was, uh, you know, was important to us. And, and having one bite of the apple as an independent uh, was just not enough to do that. So we started to look for conferences. The IVs and the ACC weren't interested. Um, you know, the, you know, the, the, the other conferences out there at the time, the big East and, you know, the Patriot league and the big East was one that was a, a little bit more aggressive than the others, you know, just didn't seem like the right fit. And, uh, you know, the big 10, uh, with Maryland being in the Big Ten, you know, and, and an academic institution like uh, Michigan, that's a great research university, uh, you know, it made sense. And, uh, you know, so at the time, again, uh, I do believe it was the right decision. Great. So the guys who brought you into Johns Hopkins retired and moved on. And when you, whenever you're at a place for 20 years, you go through battles to get started. You, you had sold the first administration on what was important to be successful. Now you have, a, if you would, a cleaning of the house administratively. And did you find you were fighting the same battles that you, you tried to get fixed or you'd already gotten fixed years ago there at the end? Yeah, well, you know, look, at, at the end of the day, you know, there's always going to be change. Um, you know, and as you said, 20 years is a very long time, you know, and we had become accustomed to doing things a certain way and, you know, working a certain way, you know, and you just become comfortable with it. And we were very successful with it, um, you know, but, you know, there, there's change. There's change at the, at the presidential level. There's change on the board of trustees. There's, you know, there, there's change around, not just within the institution, but there's change in the world around us. You know, the pressures of, you know, meeting, you know, the cost of tuition, the pressures of enrollment, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, you know, the, the world around us was changing as well. And, and, you know, Johns Hopkins, you know, began to move as an institution. And I'm not speaking just athletically as an institution, you know, in some different directions. And, and with that, again, comes change. And, uh you know, the change started, you know, down campus and, you know, philosophically, you know, how we're going to do things and, and how we want to be perceived and the ranking of the institution, you know, all those things 
priorities be, begin to change and adjust. And, and I'm not saying, Coach, any of those are wrong. Right. That is prerogative of any administration. And, you know, we were just, you know, our, our ships, you know, as I've said, you know, weren't necessarily sailing in the same du direction. And thus, you know, you wind up uh, parting ways and, you know, and, and with change comes opportunity. And uh, for me, it's created, you know, an opportunity that I'm, you know, I was thrilled with the year I had with you and Brendan Kelly at LSG. And, and it's created an opportunity for me now at a place that, you know, you know, loves lacrosse and is passionate about lacrosse and, you know, uh, a, a group of young men that I really enjoy and like, you know, so, you know, change is inevitable and, uh, you know, it, it came and, and thus, you know, we wind up moving in our separate directions and, uh, and, and, and you know, and that's the way of the world, you know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. You, you look at things and you say, you know, I think I'm going to be here forever, but, you know, <laughs> that's not the world we're living in. And, uh, you know, inevitably change comes and, and, and it's not for me to say what's right or wrong for Johns Hopkins University. I'm not uh, I'm not in charge of the institution or the hospital. And, you know, those are decisions that are made that were made far above me. And, you know, we just felt like it was time, you know, for, for a change, you know, both from the administration and from myself. You know, from an uh, outsider that looked in to Johns Hopkins, one of the things that w we as coaches saw is the way you handled losing a player's life. And it was a terrible situation. And uh, how did you handle that? Um, well, no one knows it better than you. You've been through it. Um, you know the challenges of it. Um Coach, I think it was the greatest coaching job that that staff and I had had done. It was our greatest accomplishment, and uh, you know, it's one that most people don't see and don't 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 know or don't understand. And quite frankly, as you know, I hope to God they never have to. Um, and it's probably something that most don't appreciate. Um, but we lost uh, the, the the life of a player, um, you know, Jeremy Huber, due to natural causes. Um, you know, it is the, it was the worst day of my life and, uh, you know, and, and I'm the adult, so I can only imagine what it was like for the young men that were on that team in particular, the freshmen, um, you know, the Pat Frazier's and Tal Bruno's and, and, and Shaq Stanwick's and Joel Tenney's and all those young men. And I don't mean to leave anybody out, um, it was the greatest challenge that I've ever faced because, you know, you go into a game, you're prepared for a game, you're pre prepared to adjust, you've practiced, you know, if they, if they run zone or they shut someone off or they 10 man ride you, um, you know, you, you, you've dealt with adversity and a couple of losses and how to bounce back. You know, we as coaches, we all know how to handle that stuff, but there's no book for, how to handle the loss of a life. And I had never experienced it to that magnitude. Um, and you're responsible for, you know, 40 some odd young men that have just had the most, one of the most significant moments in their life and it's life changing. And all of a sudden lacrosse doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, and, and I remember, you know, I spent, almost three weeks sleeping in the office and, 
you know, taking phone calls at three in the morning from kids that couldn't sleep or needed to talk or, you know, I remember Joel Tinney coming in at three in the morning and sitting with him for two hours. And then he and I, you know, just sitting in the office talking because he was struggling. And uh, you think about that and you think about what the family suffered. And uh, I still, to this day, remain close with Bob and Nancy. Um, I hope, I, I truly hope we celebrated Jeremy's life the right way and honored him the right way. And to be honest with you, coach, there's not a day that goes by that at some point in time, you know, whether it's for 10 seconds or 10 minutes, I don't think about them. And, uh, you know, you can only hope that, uh, that we did a good enough job to help those young men through what was probably one of the most challenging moments in their life. It's, it's a very difficult situation and there's no manual as a coach that you can look up on how to handle it. And every situation is different, but it, it's to the young kids on that team, it is a significant impact and a significant moment. And having a strong leader like yourself there, I'm sure the players appreciate it. Well, so, we had a great, great staff. You know, I was blessed with Billy Dwan and, you know, and, and, and Bob Benson and, and, and those guys and Tom Calder. Uh, I mean, that was not handled alone, coach. That was handled by a lot of people. And, uh, and thank, thank, thankfully so. Well, that gets me to my next thing. When you guys mutually decided to part ways, you never had a chance to thank the people that meant a lot for you. You know, you were, you just, it was over. Who would you, if you had a chance to thank people today, who had the greatest impact on you at Johns Hopkins? Oh, gosh. Well, you're good to offer me an opportunity to, to, to do that, Coach. I mean, there were so many. Um, you know, look, I played for coaches who um, knew far better than I did uh, and saw in me uh, more than I would have ever saw in myself. So guys like Don Zimmerman and Bill Tierney, you know, and Freddie Smith and, you know, guys like that who, you know, coached me and mentored me. Um, I'm grateful for Tony Seaman giving me an opportunity to come back as an assistant and was grateful to you. Um, I learned how to be a coach under you and how to work, um, you know, and, and you know, I, I'm grateful for, 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 for President William Brody and Jerry Steinman, you know, their leadership. They were they were great partners for me. And, uh, you know, and, you know, every player that, that you know, made those those are the ones that are really important with the players. Uh, you know, you don't you don't often get to thank those guys. Um, you know, they're, they're the ones that make the coaches look good, um, not us make them look good. And they're the they're the ones that made my job special. Um, you know, and not just the guys that were all Americans, but all the guys that maybe some people don't know their names that you know were were role players or, or practice players. And uh, you know, I, I, I I'm so blessed to, to have had. So many people that were uh, influential, and you know, as I mentioned, sadly, one of them uh, just passed, Jerry Schneidman, who was the admissions director that uh, admitted me to Hopkins, and I'm not sure why he did that, but he did. Um, and then, uh, you know, was the vice president when I was there, and was a, a great friend. Um, you know, I still stay in touch with President Brody today, and he is—he's the one that called me to let me know that uh, Jerry had passed. So uh, 
gives you a sense for the relationship that we we, we still have. But yeah, it's people like that, um, you know. And but uh, the guys that make it the most special coaches, the players. Uh, you know that as well as I do. Those are the guys that you go to work with every day, and to to see them grow and become, you know, what you hope and believe they're capable of is those are really special moments. As a coach, you're always looking forward to next year, you know, next recruiting class, next game, next year. You never have time to sit back and reflect on what just happened. That year off you took this past year, did you get a chance to reflect on what had happened at Cornell and what had happened at Johns Hopkins and and the the impact that you had on so many student athletes and and so many fans uh you know i don't know that i reflect on the impact that i had um i think i reflect more on you know the impact they had but more importantly the things that that i could have done better um and things that you know if 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 given an opportunity uh that i'd like to do moving forward um you know, I spent that, you know, that that year with you, um, you know, and it was really, it was refreshing, uh, uh, rejuvenating to, to a point, um, you know, sitting in the office with you talking lacrosse was, you know, it was almost like we were back at Loyola again. And, uh, you know, we, we used to have those uh, chalk sessions where, uh, you know, we, you draw something up on a board and I would draw it, you know, defend it. And you tell me, oh, that's awesome. Even better. You know, it, it, th those were fun moments. And uh, to do that with you and get to know Brendan and, and see a leader in the corporate world and, and a different kind of leader, uh, a guy that thinks a bit outside the box was, was great. And then I took the time when I was, you know, home, you know, working at, at, out of the house. I, I, I spent some time talking to other coaches. You know, I wanted to learn what they were doing culturally, what they were doing, you know, in terms of practice and drills. Uh, Joe Amplo was great to me at Navy. I got a chance to go down and watch them practice uh, a little bit. And, uh, you know, I got a chance, Coach, as you know, to coach my, my two boys, uh, Brian Farrell, who's the head coach at Boys Latin. That, that, that time at Boys Latin was, uh, was significant because – I got to see firsthand what it was like to be for the high school players, you know, the kids that, that I had been recruiting and, and how do they see the recruiting process and what's life like for a high school student and a high school lacrosse player. Um, so I, I, I got to learn a ton from other coaches and from the boys Latin experience. And I got to be with my boys, which was awesome. You know, I feel like I've spent my most of my career spending time, with other people's children. And I actually finally got to spend time with my own, um, you know, and I learned a ton. And what I, what I learned most was I still have a lot to learn. And, uh, you know, you know, I still learn, you know, under Gary and I'm learning from a new place and, and, and a new administration and a new way to do things, you know, and then you also learn that, Hey, you know what, some of the stuff that we did was pretty darn good and want to use that stuff and, and, and build off of those strengths and, you know, maybe improve on some of the weaknesses and things we could have done better. Top five moments of your career, whether it be as a player or coach. Oh, <laughs> oh. most coach, most memorable. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say it's a good memory. 
uh, was 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 the loss of Jeremy. That is that is the most significant moment in my career as a as a coach. Um, you know, because it was just, you know, it, it had far more to do with life than lacrosse. Um, you know, obviously winning the, uh, you know, the 2005 and 2007 national championships, uh, those were extraordinarily significant moments. Um, you know, those are, th th those are two, two, two of the best. Um, you know, although I think there were maybe there's a year or two where I think we did a better job coaching and didn't make the final four, um, you know, might not have had as talented a team, but did a better job coaching. Um, you know, the first Big Ten championship was was, was exciting. Uh, it was so ex exciting for the kids, um, you know, that I, uh, you know, that that's a, a, a great memory. You know, and coach, maybe the more one of the more significant ones was my last game playing is was a loss to to the place where I, I work now. You know, that was the end of my uh, college career, and uh, you know, the end of my time with my my, my, my brothers and my teammates and my coaches um, was 1989 when uh, you know we left the field and, and lost by by one goal. You know, those are you know those are some of the moments, but there's there's so many others. You know that uh, you know are not don't seem as you know significant, but when you see like Joel Tinney graduating from Johns Hopkins, and you know that was a significant moment for me to see how much that young man grew up and, and overcame adversity, and, and and seeing other guys that you know a guy like Tom Garvey, who no one really recruited Tom, and Tom became a first team All American. You know those are moments that I I, I think. You know, when you really start to reflect, you start to think about all those little moments where you go, holy cow, that kid really overachieved or became what he was capable. I mean, th th those are really the exciting ones as well. So right now you're the only person to win a championship as both a player and a coach and the only person to be named player of the year and coach of the year in their careers. Now you go to work for Gary Gate that if you do a great job and it works out for you, you will make somebody else the second guy to do what you've only done. The irony in that I find is, is significant. Yeah. Well then I hope I can help do it. Um, you know, I've, I've never been, you know, an, an accolades guy. I, I think you know that about me. I, I, that stuff's not important to me. Uh, winning's important to me. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd, I'd rather be a giver than a taker, um, you know, so I, I, I got an opportunity to, to work for a great guy and a good friend. Um, you know, we're very different. Um, I, I think that would, might be the understatement of the year. Um, and hopefully we complement each other and help our team that way. Uh, but if he becomes the next guy, that would be awesome because that means the young men on this team had an opportunity to have a, a, a great season and, uh, you know, I'm working with two great guys, three great guys. Pat March does a great job as the offensive coach, and I'm thrilled to be around Roy Simmons III, um, just a terrific human being and, as you know, a, a big part of the sport of lacrosse. But, uh, I, you know, the player of the year stuff, the coach of the year, that, that all that stuff comes because of who we're around. You know, I, I, my, my successes as a player came because I played with – played for great coaches and I played for with great teammates that allowed me to be the knucklehead that I was. 
and you know you, you become a coach of the year because you have a great staff, not because you're a great coach. It's because your staff and your players have done a great job. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people, <laughs> I, I, I think I get probably a little too much credit and, and, and other people don't get enough for what they've helped me do. Well, the one thing I know is that year off, you were preparing to get back into coaching. I don't think there was one coach in the country that was more prepared for the 2023 recruiting class than you were. How did it work out for you this year at Syracuse with that class? Well, so far, so good. We're not done yet. And, uh, you know, obviously because of NCAA rules, I can't comment on specific players. But, you know, the 22 class that uh, um, that we recruited, we, we that they recruited, I should say, um, you know, I think it's an outstanding class. I can say that, um, you know, and the goal was to follow it up with one that that met our needs. You know, uh, you know, you, when you when you bring in a great recruiting class, you know, it, it, it's even more challenging to bring in another great one. And I think the, the, the key is, you know, how do you how do you measure greatness? Does it meet your needs? You know, and, and you know. Sometimes you can have, I don't want to say you can have too much talent because, you know, you love having talent, but you need talent that fits and that will play well together and have great chemistry, you know, and, and, and the goal in this recruiting class has been to recruit talented young men that are character guys that work hard, that fit, you know, this new staff's vision, um, you know, and, and that will help the guys that are here now and that are going to be here, you know, become the players they're capable of and, and fit well, you know, and be good, you know, fits to the puzzle. And, you know, I think we've done, um, you know, a, a good job. I, I guess you never really know till they get there and they graduate, but uh, you know, it, it was the, the, the year I spent with you was a, a great opportunity for me, not only to evaluate players, but to actually get to know them. Since I wasn't a Division One coach, I could actually get to know you and I both could get to know players and talk to them and talk to their families, and that was uh, that was fun, exciting, and, and certainly a, a, a blessing given uh, the fact that I'm you know back in in, in the Division One game again. Not only did you you know watch them at All Star events and 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 as a recruiter, you know just making you know meticulous notes, but you coached you coached in the MIAA. So I think probably being on that sideline in that practice, you have a, a you have a great understanding of the young players in the league, and you had a great understanding about with the boys Latin players. I think it was a tremendous advantage to you, and you didn't waste a year off of coaching because you did coach, but you you once again utilized uh, your work ethic to help the next school that you're going to work for. So you're at Syracuse now. What do you think? How, how's it going? What do you like? What do you got to do better? How, how are the orange in, uh, coming around? Well, I, 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 I love it here. Um, you know, the people have treated me just uh, far greater than I could ever imagine. You know, one of my concerns, and I think I may have voiced this to you, was you know, I was concerned as to how I would be received, you know, uh, by the administration and more importantly, by the kids, you know, here I am, I'm the guy that's been coaching against a lot of them for a number of years and recruited some of them. Um, you know, so how are you going to, how are you going to be received coming in as, I guess, the enemy? And uh, they have been extraordinarily welcoming. Um, you know, Coach Gate has allowed me to be 
who I am and what I am, um, you know, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, Pat March has, has made me feel right at home and, um, you know, it's been great to work alongside of, uh, you know, so it, it's been great. I think the, the, the most enjoyable piece has been the guys um, just getting, you know, being in the weight room at six in the morning with them. And, you know, I've gone to breakfast with some of them and actually went to the movies with a couple of them the other night. Um, I'm just trying to get to know them all. I mean, I've only been here a short period of time, so I, I, I couldn't claim to to know every one of them the way I would like to. Um, but, you know, I've really enjoyed developing relationships with these guys. Um, you know, they, they want to be successful, Coach, um, and our job is to help them understand how to be successful and, and to put them in positions. Um, you know, you ask, you know, what do we need to do better? Um, you know, as I shared with them after our, our scrimmages the other day, you know, I think we have to be more disciplined. I know we do. You know, and I define discipline by doing what's right, when it's right, and doing it all the time. And, you know, they're, they're, they're coming to understand that. And the beauty is we've got uh, about eight more practices now so we can kind of take what we learned from the scrimmages and use the two films to improve. Um, you know, but it's a, a really good group of young men. They're, they're, they're anxious uh, to, to, to please. Um, and we've just got to do a, a great job of helping them understand you know, how to be successful, but it's not like they weren't coached by good guys prior to us getting here. You know, Leland and John Desco, are, they're terrific coaches. So, you know, we've got to just start building off of, you know, the, the foundation that's there and, and, and start helping them understand our vision and how we want to do things. March 12th, who do you play that day? Coach, I know all our games, but I do know we play Johns Hopkins that day. How will you feel being on that sideline, the other sideline, the visiting team sideline on that uh, day? Uh, you know what? I, I, I don't know. I, I know this. I'll be proud and thrilled to be with the team that I'm, I'm, I'm with. Um, and I will give everything I have uh, for, for the team that I'm with. Um, I still care tremendously for the young men that, are, that will be on the other sideline. Um, they played an important role. In my life, I hope I played one in theirs. Um, I want them to be successful in all they do. But, you know, that day we'll go down there and, uh, you know, I'll be proud to wear orange and, and be with the young men and the, and the staff that I'm with. Well, you know, I, I think blue and orange is probably a very slimming color for you right now. <laughs> I appreciate that. I wear more blue than orange. And <laughs> it's for that reason. All right. The last thing I, I want to ask you a question where I think it'll help younger coaches uh, if we, they get a chance to listen to this. And that is you, you've been one of the guys that have gone to outside lacrosse to learn coaching principles. You know, you, you worked, you've gone and watched Villanova basketball and your relationship with coach Belichick, you, you, you have a, uh, a personal relationship, but what have you taken from any of these relationships, in particular, probably New England Patriot football, what have you learned from them that you've applied to lacrosse? Oh, my gosh. Uh, an inordinate amount of things. I'm not sure I could touch on all of them. Um, you know, it, 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 what I learned is I have so much to learn. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Jay Wright, who 
at Villanova, who is, you know, one of the, you know, top two or three coaches in the, in the game right now. Um, you know, and uh, Coach Belichick, you know, obviously, you know, maybe the greatest of, of all time doing what he does. You know, one of the things I learned from those guys, Coach, is sharing information. Um, you know, they were so welcoming and so open to allow me to sit in on their meetings and, and watch them coach and be a part of their staff meetings and see them interact with their players. So, you know, that's one thing I've learned is that it, we, we have a responsibility as coaches to, 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 to grow our profession and to give and, and to give to other coaches and to, to help them. Um, you know, for Coach Belichick, one of the things I've learned is, is, is to be a better listener. I mean, he's as good a listener as I've ever been around. And, you know, I've learned that he believes you can take a tidbit from anyone in any sport, in any endeavor. Uh, and, and if it makes your team better, then, you know, you know so be it. And it, it, it's a blessing. Um, you know, or from organizational skills to, you know, how you run practice, um, you know, to how you handle players. Um, you know, culture has become such a, a buzzword and, you know, is so important and leadership. And, you know, how do these guys lead and, and how do they, you know, how do their assistants work, you know, within the framework of the organization? And uh, I, I've just been so blessed, uh, you know, again, as a lacrosse player to be around great coaches and, and in our own sport, you know, to be around guys like you and Jeff Tambroni and Tony Seaman and, uh, you know, a host of, you know, other guys, uh, Bill Tierney, um, and then, you know, to be around these other guys. It's just, it's it's amazing, you know, what we can learn from other sports. You know, we're talking about eye discipline now and leverage, and, you know, we're using vocabulary that maybe they hadn't used before, and a lot of it is from football and basketball, and those sports are, are still light years ahead of us, so we can we can learn a lot from them. Well, David, I appreciate, I know how busy you are. I appreciate your time this morning and the opportunity to, to talk a little bit about yourself and, and your programs and the players. And it's, it's obvious how important the players are to you and how much you give to them. And I'm sure the Syracuse players are very fortunate to have it, that you'll be committed to them and to this, this season and, uh, and to what happens in Syracuse in the future. And, uh, I'm, I'm happy that Gary Gate gave you an opportunity, and you know, as a as a fan of yours, I'm going to be rooting for the Syracuse Orangemen this year. And uh, I wish you nothing but success. But again, thanks for taking the time to do this. Well, you're thanking me, Coach. I should be thanking you, and maybe this is my uh, big opportunity to say thanks to you. Um, you know, when uh, I left Hopkins, you and Brendan uh, opened the door and, and, and met me with open arms and provided an opportunity for me to stay around the game um, and to do something that has benefited me greatly, um, you know, it, it, now and, and, and will benefit me moving forward. So I, I, I thank you uh, for your support, um, your uh, mentorship, and, and, and more importantly, for your friendship. It's been uh, great. I look forward to many more years of it. Take care, and I'll, I will see you March 12th. <laughs> All right, Coach. We'll talk soon. See you, David. Bye-bye.